Welcome to Journey Church Podcast. It's great to have you with us. Here at Journey, we believe that Jesus should be accessible to anyone. So whether you're at home, work, or somewhere in between, you can have access to the weekend's worship experience. If you want to further connect with us, you can find us online at journeyorl.com or any social media platform using at journeyorl. We hope you enjoy the message. So... We are on the second week of our two-part sermon series called Fixer Upper with the subtitle, Can You See It? How many people were here last Sunday? Yeah. Hope you enjoyed the message. Uh, It was, we called it Fixer Upper for two reasons. One, because we have this house back here and we had to incorporate it into the message. And then two, uh, the reason why we called it Fixer Upper is because we believe it takes a certain type of vision, a certain type of perspective to be able to look at a rundown house and find potential in the problematic. To get involved in a renovation and keep hope in the middle of havoc. Uh, to believe that with God's help, we can build up anything that has been broken down. How many people know sometimes things in life break down? And it's not even your fault. Sometimes life just throws situations at you that you weren't expecting. Uh, and I know that things in my house break down all the time. And it is most certainly not my fault, regardless of what Liz says. I didn't touch it. Uh, and you need to be able to take a new perspective in life. And it's, instead of complaining about the things that break down, and instead of feeling like all hope is gone when the things in your life break down, believing that no matter how broke down something is, with God's help, it can be built back up. You can fix it up. You can renovate. You don't got to throw out the house. You don't got to give up. Belief or hope, with God's help, he can make beautiful things out of rundown things. And the topic that we really honed this idea on is the idea of, or building up, is the idea of our finances. That is money. 2,350 times in the Bible do you hear the topic of money and possessions. Did you know that one out of every seven verses in the New Testament is about money and finances? And the reason why God spends so much on this topic is because God understands that the lack of it or the surplus of it has so much to do with the way you feel and wake up in the morning. Amen? You can ask someone how you're doing today, and they'll give you an answer. But you can also ask them, how's the bank account looking? Looking good? Got the zeros on the right side of the decimal point? No, you don't. Sorry to hear that. How much debt you in? How's that car you driving? Does the AC work? No, sorry to hear that. Are you renting? Are you owning, right? Because so much of what is in our hand affects what is in our heart. So God is not concerned with our money because he is a banker. He's concerned with our money because he is a builder. He doesn't care about the cars and the finances and the, and the 401ks and the, and, the, and the retirements and the IRAs. What he cares about is your peace, your joy, your happiness, your, your hopes and your dreams. And he knows that, that those things are connected to your finances. And so what he does is he lays out principles in the scripture to help us live a financially successful life. Again, not because he cares about the money. It's because he understands how much the money has an impact on our heart. Now, in preparation for these talks, I was hoping that somebody would be blessed. I was hoping that somebody would leave here encouraged and excited. And uh, I got to be honest, I was surprised. I received more positive feedback on, yesterday, on last Sunday's message from any message that I've preached since the beginning of the church. More people sent emails, more people called, more people texted, more people came, hey, I needed that, I needed that, I needed that. Which told me two things. 
A, Jesus was right to talk about money so much. And B, some of y'all are broke. My goodness. And, and that's okay because this isn't a talk for the wealthy or a talk for the poor or a talk for the middle class or the lower middle class or the upper middle class. This talk has nothing to do with what you have, in fact, because this talk is all about what you do with what you have. And that's the difference between two ideas that we introduced last Sunday, which was financial contentment and financial freedom. Financial contentment is focused on all you have, and it's, and it's focused on this idea that one day, hopefully, I'll have enough. Like if I made $20 an hour, I'd have enough. If I made 60K or 100K a year, I'd have enough. And let me tell you, from somebody who's made 20K a year, lived on food stamps, to somebody who's made 100K a year, here's the problem with enough. Enough is a moving target. Every time you get it, you don't think that you've gotten it. It's like a, like a, like a bullfighter. You ever seen a bullfighter? Waves, the, waves the, the flag and the bull runs and, and all he's trying to do is get the bull exhausted. That's what chasing enough is like. It waves its flag in front of you and you run and you chase it and you run and you chase it. And the moment you get it, it moves to the other side of the arena until you're so exhausted from putting 80 hours in at work. Until you're so exhausted from putting more time into the office, putting more time into the networking, putting more time into the social media. You're, you're so exhausted that by the, by the time you finally got there, it's taken your family. It's taking your peace, it's taking your joy, it's taking your kids, because you thought you could get something you cannot get. You cannot find financial contentment. It just doesn't exist, because the moment you get there, you up the game. The moment you get to $15 an hour, you're like $20 an hour. The moment you save $20,000 for retirement, you're like, I need $40,000 for retirement. It just always changes. And so we switched the game. We switched the focus. We said we need to get our minds off of financial contentment and onto this idea of financial freedom. Now, financial freedom is different. Financial freedom is a perspective change. It's the way we see money and the way we see our possessions. And we introduced, we said that there were four things that you need to shift in the way you see in order to experience financial freedom. I'll review for those who weren't here and as a reminder for those who were, the three that we talked about last Sunday and then I'm going to get right into what I believe God has for this for this group that's here today, for, for what I believe he wants to minister to you. The first thing we said was, you don't need as much as you think you need. That's really a perspective change because the word need has changed a lot in the last 100 years. Like, like someone in Africa needs rice. Like you need satellite TV. How many people know there's a difference between satellite TV and rice, right? There's a big difference. And, and the big takeaway from that point was this. The wealthiest people on earth are not the ones that have the most, but who need the least. The less you need, the less you spend, the more you save, the wealthier you become. Just some perspective because you don't need all the things that you thought you did need. The second perspective shift that we had to take was the fact that you don't need it right now. Somebody say now. That's a problem because there is a five-year-old inside of all of us who doesn't just want something, but wants it now. And so we use this magical thing called credit cards to purchase things. I was, I'm going to just blow up. Well, I won't say. One of our leaders was talking to me the other day. He said, man, the first time they gave me a credit card, nobody told me how that thing worked. This is what they told me. You got $5,000. That's all they said. I said, I got $5,000. Yeah, you got $5,000. Well, then, shoot. 
went on a shopping spree, spending money you didn't have. The takeaway from that was you got to learn to say no now so you can say yes for the rest of your life. And the last perspective shift that we had to take was the fact that we have to understand that it's God's house. In other words, the life that we're trying to build, we got to understand God bought our life on the cross with Jesus Christ's sacrifice 2,000 years ago. You and I, we're the contractors. You know, we, we put in the work, but in every renovation, there's two people, the contractor and the owner. The contractor does the work, but you know who pays the bills? The owner. I might install the wood, but he bought the wood. And in times in your life when it feels like you don't have enough, you just got to believe and trust that there is somebody watching out for you, somebody over you who is taking ownership of your life, taking ownership of your finances, taking ownership of your marriage. And when you feel like you're about to run out, when you feel like you're about to hit bankruptcy, know that he always comes in time. He always provides exactly what you need. And so it's God's house. Somebody say it's God's house. Come on. Next time that, that mortgage bill comes in, you be like, it's God's house. Now, don't tell the bank that. Because they'll be like, no, it's my house now. But don't, you got to be able to encourage, husbands, you got to be able to encourage your wife. It's God's house. He's going to come through. It's God's house. He's going to make it. When those student loans come in, it's God's house. He's going to come through. You got to believe it. And then that changes everything. And the last one we're going to uh, introduce right now, and, I, and I, just uh, two disclaimers before I get into it. First is, I want to say again, I am not a financial planner. I am a pastor. Okay, what do I mean by that? I'm, I'm teaching you things that I see in the scripture. I believe Jesus talks about money a lot, and I've put into practice the things that he talks about, and my life has been better for it. But if you want financial professional advice, I want to let you know again, this is the last week to sign up for it. We're going to start a nine-week uh, course called Financial Peace University. We're going to get professional financial advice from a professional. Uh, it's going to start the week right after Easter. And so if you want to be involved in that, you can sign up in the black tent. If you want to be a part of that, I'm going to be a part of that. I know Aaron said he's going to be a part of that. Uh, I want to be able to steward my money well. And here's the second thing that I want to tell you before we go into this topic. I saved it for the end because it's the hardest. It's the hardest and it's the most challenging. And, uh, and, and if you thought, you know, paying off debt, and, uh, and spending less was tough to swallow. Wait till you see what the Bible says about this. Because uh, this is a, a challenge. And I knew I'd need time to explain it. And so now we'll get into the word. I'll give you my title and then we'll, we'll continue. If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 35. If not, you can just look at the screen and uh, you'll be able to, to read along with us. Acts chapter 20 verse 35 goes like this. You should remember the words the Lord Jesus himself said. It is more blessed to give. Somebody say more. It is more blessed to give than to receive. The title of my talk today is See That There's More. Touch three people, tell them there's more. 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 There's more where that came from. There's more. I want to talk to you about generosity today. And I want to use... Uh, to open up this talk, a verse that I've always struggled with. Um, and the reason why I've struggled with this verse is because it says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And, uh, and I got some questions about that. I'm a little skeptical. I, I, and there are some verses in the Bible I'm skeptical about. And I want you to know what I mean by that. What I don't mean when I say I'm skeptical is I don't, I don't mean that I don't believe this is absolutely true. 
I believe every comma, every uppercase letter is inspired by God. Like, this is the word of God. It does not change. It does not shift. When I say skeptical, I mean I got questions. And I want you to know, it's okay to read the Bible and have questions. Like, faith is not thinking that you know it all. Faith is believing, recognizing that you don't. That's faith. And so I have some questions. And the reason why I have some questions about this verse is it's more blessed to give to receive. I'm sorry, but receiving feels pretty good. Somebody say amen. The other day I came home and I had a pounding headache. And Liz was doing the dishes and there were so many dishes. And, and I hate doing the dishes. And she never asks me to do the dishes. But, but, but when I came home, she asked me. But she halfway asked me because she realized how hard my head was pounding. And so she said, hey, would you like to help me with the?" And she looked at me and I put on the sickest face I could find. I knew where it was going and I was just like. She said, never mind, I got it. I said, hallelujah. I'm blessed to have a awesome wife who's not afraid to wash dishes. Thank you, baby. I felt, I felt, but that felt pretty good. I remember last year, 2015, when we were raising money for the church, uh, a couple months had passed since Liz, Liz and I had lost our son. And then we had tried to get pregnant again, and we found out we had a miscarriage. It was the second miscarriage already since Journey. And, um, and nobody was giving us money for the church. <laughs> it was like few people were, were behind us. And I remember the day we got back from the doctor's office. I don't know if you remember this. The day we got back from the doctor's office, and uh, we found out we had a miscarriage, and we were all bummed out. Um, we go to the mailbox, and we open up the mail, and there was a $3,000 check signed to Journey Church from somebody we didn't even, and you know, and it was just confirmation that this is God's house. He's got our back. And I remember feeling so blessed in receiving, and so my problem with the verse, again, is receiving feels so good, and I just can't get my mind around it. And so I chewed on the verse, which is what you need to do. Whenever you read a Bible verse that kind of rubs you the wrong way, or you don't grasp, or you don't get, don't move on. I think God's trying to tell you something. And so I camped out on this passage, it's more blessed to give to receive. It's more blessed to give to receive. What does this mean? Because receiving feels pretty good. And then I found out the problem. Guess what the problem was? Me. As it often is. And I don't mean figuratively, I mean the problem was literally me. I want you to read this verse one more time. Acts. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. You know what my problem was? Leave it up there. Even though it says it, I read it, you are more blessed to give than to receive. I literally made it. About me. Anybody ever make something about them that wasn't about them? Can I tell you something in your life changes when you come to the realization that you might be a part of this life, but life isn't about you. Do you know how happier your marriage will be if you realize that your marriage is not about you? Do you know how much happier you'll be at your job? Even the job you don't like, when you realize that that job it's not about you. So free. I, thank God that Jesus, the only one it ever really is about, he didn't even think it was about him. Could you imagine what that mentality would have been like the night that he went to Calvary? Hey, we need you to carry that cross, Jesus. Oh, no, I'm sorry. That cross hurts. That cross is big. And I'm really thinking, you know, I just put on some, you know, oil cream on the hat. I don't want to nails. Might mess that up. And I just... Thank God Jesus didn't even think it was about him when it was about him. 
So I'm thinking, it's about me. You're more blessed. But that's not what it says. It said, it is more blessed. So who is more blessed? What, what's the blessing for them? Let's read this passage right now. 2 Corinthians 9.11. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in things given to God. Now we see one blessing turning into three blessings. Paul is writing to the church that's financially supporting him in his ministry. And he's saying, you're blessed because you're giving and giving does feel good. But we're blessed because we're getting your giving and now we're able to do ministry. And now, guess who's blessed? God's blessed because we're saying, thank you, God. The blessing is, it is more blessed, the verse says. Not because you're more blessed when you give, but because the blessing is bigger when you give. The blessing is bigger when you, instead of one person being blessed, now three people are being blessed. You, the person you're sharing your generosity with, and God who receives the thanksgiving of that generosity. The best way I can illustrate this is with my son Justice. Uh, for Christmas, he wanted a playground, like a big playground, like with the Chuck E. Cheese slide and all that. And, uh, and he told, and he wanted it so much that one night he literally prayed for it. He's like, and thank you for mom and dad, and thank you. He always prays for the people at Journey Church. Thank you for the people at Journey Church, and, and, and thank you for the playground. He's good. He's thanking God for things he hadn't even gotten yet. This, I don't know how you know, but that's how Thanksgiving works. You know, you got to thank God for your spouse before you get him. You got to thank God for the job before you get the job. You got to thank God for your freedom before you experience the freedom. He said, thank God for the playground. With the yellow slide and the swings and the clock and the mailbox. He's looking at us, making sure we're hearing that prayer. Liz was on the phone with her dad at the time, and he goes, you'll never believe what Justice just did. Justice prayed for the playground. Prayed for it. And, uh, and my father-in-law said, okay, then I'm going to buy it for him. But don't tell him it was for me. So Christmas comes around. Obviously, we can't just pop out a playground. We bought it. It's in boxes in the garage we print out a piece of paper that shows the playground and so christmas comes he said we got one present left for you it's an envelope we open it up we're like the playground he's like oh my god i'm like he said who got it for me <laughs> we're like god god got you the playground puppy he's like thank you god for the playground Three people were blessed. Justice, my, my father-in-law was blessed because he was in tears watching my son be so happy about the playground. He was blessed. My son was blessed because he got the playground. And now we got a five-year-old sending praises to heaven. And now God is blessed because of generosity. Now somebody in here is thinking, but that's dishonest. You're lying. How dare you raise your child on lies? You should just tell him. His grandpa bought the playground. Don't lie. Well, did he? I mean, isn't it really just a matter of perspective? Sure, my, 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 my father-in-law got him the playground, but who's been providing for my father-in-law all the years of his life? Isn't it just a matter of perspective? I mean, it's like that old story, you probably heard it a million times in church, about the, about the widow, the atheist, and the groceries. Raise your hand if you've heard that story. Oh, then I'll share it then. There's this widow, 
who is on her last dime and she can't afford her groceries. And so her neighbor, who's an atheist, says, why don't you just, you know, just give up on God? And she said, no, I believe God's going to provide. He said, okay. So one day when she was gone, the neighbor bought the groceries, left them on the front door, and the, and the widow came back and she said, oh, my goodness, God's provided, God's provided. And the atheist came out. He said, aha, you thought that was God, but it was actually me. The widow said, no, God bought it, and he made the devil pay for it. It really is just a matter of perspective. It really is just what you see. Hey, you know what? There were 10 other people that applied for the job you got. But you know why you got it? Because you had God on your side. I thank God for your boss who pays those bills, but I thank God for the favor they gave you that job. You need to realize the one who really provides, the one who really gives, the one who really supplies. Behind it all is the Lord pushing and moving the pieces of your life so that you will be blessed. It is more blessed to give because it is an engine of blessing. When we receive, the blessing ends. When we become generous, it drives a, a, a water flow, a butterfly effect of generosity that flows into individuals, that flows into individuals, that flows into God. The blessing is bigger. When we approach life with a generous perspective rather than a consuming perspective. So I believe, I'm going to take a risk here, and I believe you believe that. I really do. I think we live in a world today that is more community-focused than it ever has been. I think that, that explains the, the spike in nonprofits. I think that explains the rise in charitable giving. I think that explains the reason why millennials, or a lot of millennials here, are so involved in social justice causes. It's because we want to gener- We want to be generous, and we want to give. And I think there's two reasons why we don't, why we aren't generous. And I'm, I'm telling you this not because I want something from you. I'm telling you this because I want something for you. I want you to see God's blessing in your life. And I think the first reason why we don't uh, live a life of generosity is, quite honestly, we're skeptical. I'm not going to take any shots at anybody or any churches, but we've seen people on TV with, the, you know, the slick hair. And if you give $100, it's going to turn into 1000 Just dial 1-800, you know. And, just, and we're like, oh, I don't know how that feels. We've seen a lot of the maybe nonprofits not use money so well. And, and we become skeptical. And I want to tell you again. Here at Journey Church, we don't want something for you. We want something from you. I want all God has for your life. And so you don't have to worry about that here. But the second reason why we're not generous is, and I think this is probably the most common reason, because quite honestly, we feel like we don't have enough. Some people would say, you know, without raising your hands, like, yeah, honestly, if I had more, I'd give more. And the reason why I don't, and I'm not generous with my neighbors or my coworkers or is because I don't feel like I have enough. And I want you to know that that perspective is a very limiting perspective. In fact, there is a psychological term for that kind of thinking, and it affects way more than just your finances. It affects your marriages. It affects your workplace. It affects your friendships. It affects the way you treat your children, uh, the way you live your life. And it's called a scarcity mentality, a scarcity mentality that there's not going to be enough and that, you know, I'm limited by my limitations. And I guess the best way to explain it to you and the, the the negative consequences of it would be like if I had a pie. Like, I want you to imagine a pie. And in fact, you don't even have to imagine it. Because I just so happen, what are the odds of that? I just so happen to have a pie. You know, that's my pregame ritual, actually. Y'all don't know that. But before I preach, it's like a cup of water. And a whole pie. 
So this is my preaching part. My preaching part. I'm done. It's like a pie. Uh, scarcity mentality is, I really hope this doesn't spill on me or uh, don't, nobody record this. Uh, scarcity mentality is, there is one pie in the whole world, and it's my pie. And the problem with thinking that there's only one pie in the whole world is that pretty quickly you realize there's a world full of hungry people. World full of hungry people, and there's only one pie. But it's my pie. Did you want some more pie? Try, try and grab some of the pie. Don't touch my pie. It's my pie. And one, one slice for you is one less slice for me. And so here's what we do. We spend our whole life like this, guarding our pie, living in fear, living in pessimism, living guarded. And so, and, and here's the irony. The thing that we're trying to keep, we actually end up losing because we're trying to keep it so bright. So, for example, you know, you're married and your wife's phone gets a text message. And the moment it goes, ding, you're thinking, Who's out to get my pie? Somebody is after my pie. Who texted you? You better tell them that's my pie. That's my pie. And then what happens? The jealousy actually ends up converting into a wedge that pushes away the person you were trying to hold on to. And so by being so fearful and guarded, you actually ended up losing the thing you were holding on to. Right? Or you have a coworker, they get promoted. And instead of celebrating their success, or you have a friend that you went to college with and they ended up getting the job that you wanted. Or you following somebody on social media and they're celebrating the house that they just bought or whatever. And you can't even celebrate with them because you got a scarcity mentality, which means if they're succeeding, that's less pie for me. And so you can't even celebrate people's success. Because you think, well, if he got three slices, that means I don't have three slices. Right? And we become guarded. And here's the deal. Now we're living a life. Now no matter how much money you make, no matter how much you get, you'll always be poor. Because you're only focused on what you have. Only focused on your limitations. Only focused on, on, on what people can take from you and what you're going to lose. But there's a better way. There was a study that was done. University of uh, Pennsylvania, I believe, and it was a study that was done on scarcity thinkers. They got two groups of people. They got scarcity thinkers and they got this other group. I'll tell you what the name of the other group was. But they did this, this project, this research. They put an object in a room far away and they asked the group, tell me how big you think that object is. The first group were the scarcity thinkers. And actually, their answers were very accurate. So if the object was like three feet long, they were like three feet. Wow. It's really good. Every object they put in there, they guessed really well. This other group, they called them the abundant thinkers. You know why they called them abundant thinkers? But because every object they saw, they thought it was actually bigger than it actually was. And so if it was three feet, they say it's five feet. If it was seven feet, they say it's ten feet. Here's the thing I want you to grasp. When they, when they studied these people later on in life, 
the abundant thinkers became four to five times more successful in life than the scarcity thinkers. Do you know why? Because the scarcity thinkers, they're realists. They're accurate. And so when they fail at something in life, they just quit and give up. Why? Because they failed. And they're accurate in their assessment of they failed. But the, but the abundant thinkers, they were like just too, too dumb to know any better. The abundant thinkers thought, hey, I'm not good at this, but I think there's more inside of me. And so even though they were not good at the task, they would practice and practice and practice and get better and better until eventually they made two pies out of one pie. I want you to understand that they both had one, but the abundant thinker saw more. See, so the, so the scarcity thinker is running around all guarded and all protected, but the abundant thinker doesn't think like that. The abundant thinker doesn't think that there's one pie in the whole world. Come here real quick, Orlando. Got this. Give one to somebody. Give one to anybody you see. Give, give, yeah, give, someone, give somebody a pie. We're giving, we're giving pies out at church today. Amen. Here's the abundant thinker. The abundant thinker. Cherry, you like cherry? Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Here's the abundant thinker. Now listen, here's the difference. The scarcity thinker thinks his pie is the only pie in the whole world. So somebody else's success is my loss. Somebody else's win is my loss. When somebody else gets married, that means I'm going to stay single for 10 more years because we just got the last guy in the zip code. That's, it's, and it's a horrible way to live your life. Always guarded, always protected. But the person who believed that there's more pies in the world, the abundant thinkers, they can live securely. They live in peace. They live in joy. They're not afraid to share because they know that there's more pies out there. And so, and it's a crazy thing that happens. It's a crazy thing that happens when you begin to share, you know, when you begin to, when you begin to say, hey, you want some apple pie? Hey, you can have some apple pie. You want some apple pie? Have it. You know what, you know what happens when you begin to share? You begin to see things you didn't see before. See, because when you're a scarcity thinker, you're only focused on your pie. But when you realize there's other pies in the world, who's got a pie? Who's got a pie? Meet someone who's got a pie. You got a pie? What flavor you got? Add custard. I got apple. You got that custard? Oh, man, I love that custard. You know what? I'll give you some of my apple. And you give me some of your egg custard pie? Is that cool? Cool. You see what I did? It's crazy. When you have an abundant mentality and you start to put out into the world, instead of trying to take from the world, the world actually ends up giving back to you. And so I just had apple. And I'd have been stuck with apple if I had a scarcity mentality. But because I believed that there was more pies in the world, I began to lift up my eyes. And when I saw there was more out there and I began to add to what was out there, I started to get back more than what I originally had. That's how abundance works. Someone say, oh, that's positive thinking. No, it's not. The Bible says, sow and you will reap. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaking together, running over. That's the difference. And here's the catch, though. You can't, you can't wait to have enough to be generous. You got to be generous before you realize you've had more than enough. People wait. They say, well, when I get there, then I'll be generous. And that's not how it works. You got to be generous first. And then when you do that, you realize you've always had more than enough. Here's what the Bible says in Proverbs. Listen, Proverbs 11, 24. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The more you give, the more you see. The more you see, the more you get. So here's giving 101. 
I'm going to break it down real easy. This is what giving looks like. I'm going to touch three things. We're going to touch them real quick. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. It's, it's biblical. It's good for you. Three things to be generous. This is how you do it. This is how you give. And trust me, the blessing is bigger. The blessing is bigger. Maybe not your blessing. The blessing is bigger. It is an engine of generosity that will drive the world. Here's the first thing. If you're taking notes, you need to learn how to trust God with the tithe. Leviticus chapter 27 verse 30 says this, a tithe, one-tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. If you don't know what a tithe is, it comes from the Hebrew word mahaseir, and it literally means one-tenth. And you might not know this about Christianity and even Judaism, but God followers throughout the history of the world have always given the Lord one-tenth of anything that they made. If it was a fruit, they'd give one-tenth of the fruit. If it was bananas, one-tenth of bananas. If it was lettuce, one-tenth of lettuce. If it was sheep, one-tenth of sheep. When it was Roman coins, it was Roman coins. When it was drachma, it became drachma. When it was dollars, it turned into dollars. The currency has always changed, but the conviction has been the same. I've got to give to the Lord because the Lord first gave to me. One-tenth. And now, now I know what you're thinking, and, and you're probably thinking the same thing I was thinking when I first taught tithing. Nobody told me that Christianity had a membership fee. Nobody told me that. They should put that in the pamphlet, like at the beginning. And then I realized if I want to do it or not. And so I had some trouble with tithing. And I had three questions that kept plaguing my mind. And you might not have these questions, but I want to share with you the questions that were in my mind. And maybe there's some of the questions you have. Maybe we can resolve this issue once and for all between you and I and the word of God. And so my first, my first problem was, isn't this just Old Testament teaching? Because that's what I go to. That's my default when I don't want to do something the Bible says. That's Old Testament. I was not about that anymore. It's Old Testament. But then I read Matthew 23, 23. that says this. Jesus says this. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law? And you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe. Yes. You should tithe. Yes. You should tithe. Yeah. Jesus is saying tithing is good. But look what he says. But do not neglect the more important things. And somebody here is saying, you see, Jesus said not to tithe. Uh, let's read that again. You should tithe, but there are more important things. In other words, giving with a bad heart isn't giving at all. You can't give with wrong motives. You can't give because you're trying to buy a seat, you know, at church. I tithe a lot to this church. I want my seat to be right there. Jesus, I know I lived a crazy life this past week and this wasn't my best weeks, but I just put 100 in the offering bucket, and so I'm expecting that 100 to compensate for my lack of self-discipline. God's like, those are bad motives. It's all about, remember, remember, God's not a banker. He's a builder. He cares about your heart, not about your pocketbook. So it's in the New Testament. The second question I had was, hold on, I have an objection. That's my money. Um, God, thank you for dying on the cross. But I'm the one that put in the 40 hours a week. And I'm the one that put in the 6,000. I'm the one that sold that house. I'm the one that's been putting money in this retirement account for, for, for 50 years. Uh, I appreciate, I get it, but. That's my money, and I worked hard for that. And as I thought about that, I remember the one time that a friend came over to the house to play with Justice. He was a, a, a little boy. He had a red ball, and he let Justice play with the ball. 
And so Justice is playing with the red ball, but then it came time for the, for the boy to go home. And so after the play date was over, the boy's parents said, hey, can we get the ball back? And I said, yeah, let me go talk to Justice. So I went to Justice and I said, hey, Justice, um, you, you got to get the ball back. And him with the ball in his hands began to cry. And he said, well, he was probably three at the time, but every three-year-old said, what do you think he said? It's mine. I said, no, it's not yours. It's his. Jonathan's. You got to give it back to Jonathan. He said, no, it's mine. And you know what he was confusing? He was confusing ownership with possession. Just because it's in your hands doesn't mean that you own it. Just because it's in your hands doesn't mean that you own it. Here's what, here's what Acts chapter 17 says. God is not served by human hands as though he needed anything. For he himself gives to all men life and breath and everything. You know, this message isn't even about finances altogether. It's about stewardship. What are you going to do with the money God's given you? Yeah, but I can say this. What are you going to do with the breath God's given you? Because every breath you have was given to him. And at the end of our lives, we give an account, not just what we've done with our money, but what we've done with our breath, what we've done with our life. Again, it's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. It's what you do with what you have. It's not my money, and it's not my life. And so I'm going to spend it all, my life and my money and my time and my gifts and my talents and my abilities, my skills, whatever they may be, I'm going to spend it to bring glory to the one who gave it to me first. Gave it to me first. Gave it to me first. And here was my last objection. My last objection. And I, maybe you probably have this one too. Why does God want my money? I'm going to get my mind around that. He's the owner of all the silver and the gold. Why does God want my money? Because I don't have a lot. And as I was processing this thought, it was like the Lord used my question to answer the question. I said, why does God want my money? I don't have this money. If I were to begin tithing, here's what I told myself. I, would, I looked at my budget because I was always a budget person. I said, I would have to rearrange my whole life around God. And as I said it, the, Lord, the Holy Spirit said, uh-huh. I said, I mean, I got bills and I got, I mean, I would have to rearrange my whole Like Ricky Bobby once said, if you ain't first, you're last. And I think God is saying, I want you to rearrange your whole life around me because if I'm not first, I'm last. I need to be first in your life. I said, but God, I don't have it. I said, I don't have it. And he said, oh, you don't have it? Read Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. This is what I told the Lord into arguments with God all the time. It's okay to argue with God as long as you don't feel like you're winning the argument. So I argue, I said, God, I don't have it. He said, Malachi 3.10, listen to this. We'll close with this. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. You know what God said? He said, there's more. 
He said, there's more. I know you don't feel like you got a lot, but there's more. I know you feel like you're tired and you've given all you got to your family, but there's more. I know you feel like all the hope is gone, but I want to let you know there's more. Test me and let me prove to you that there's more. I got more. See that there's more. See that there's more. And I will pour out so much more blessing. By the way, did you know one of the names of God is El Shaddai? How many of you ever heard that before? It's a Hebrew term. You know what El Shaddai means? The God of more. More than enough. One of the translations of the same. Powerful. More. And he says, test me. Nowhere in the Bible does God say test me. But here. You know why? One, because he knew it would be hard to get started. So he said, test me and prove it. And two, and I'll close with this. Because there was never a test God hasn't passed. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you've been blessed and encouraged by this message. We'd love to know how this ministry is touching your life. If you would like to share your testimony or if you have any prayer requests, please email us amen at journeyorl.com where we'll have a team of people ready to celebrate with you and pray with you. Also, if you would like to help support the ministry of Journey Church in a financial way, you can do so by visiting journeyorl.com and choosing the giving option. Or text journeyorl to 77977. We hope you'll join us again soon. Have a great week.